Hello, I'm Paul Feldman, Communications Editor for the Real Democracy Movement. I'm joined by John McDonnell MP, the former Shadow Chancellor, to talk about the political crisis in the UK. John, we're about to have our third Prime Minister in under six months. What do you make of the political crisis engulfing the country? We're in a situation where there's absolute political chaos um, as a result of the election of a series of prime ministers. First of all, Boris Johnson, the last election, um, the nature of his campaign, the way in which he I suppose you could call it the worst forms of sort of right-wing populism was elected on the Brexit issue in particular. And then once elected, um, basically ran amok in terms of the basic democratic values, procedures that we'd expect of a, of a prime minister. And we got to the situation where we had a prime minister which... We couldn't determine at any one stage whether he was telling the truth or lying. And as a result of that was removed. And then we then have a situation where instead of having a general election to elect a, a new prime minister, we then have to rely upon the vagaries of the Conservative Party's selection process. So then we have a prime minister elected by about 150,000 of the Conservative Party membership without any recourse to the electorate overall and now it looks as though exactly the same is going to happen and you get to a situation now where people are beginning to question the whole nature of our democracy because we clearly seem to have arisen uh, with a system um, where a small ruling elite is able to assume office without any form of democratic participation of the general populace. That can't be right in any democracy. But it demonstrates the it demonstrates the failures of our democracy, but also demonstrates that we are in a situation where we've lost control of a government and this government now is about to impose upon us another round of austerity of a similar scale to this austerity waged against us in the 2010 onwards, and in fact, may even be more severe, without any democratic mandate. That cannot be right. So this is a crisis of the political system as a whole, as well as the crisis of the Tory party. Is that what you're saying? It's the system as a whole. Of course, there's a crisis within the Tory party. It's ripping itself apart. It's its whole philosophy and its economic strategy of neoliberalism is, is run into the sands and I think it's on its way into the dustbin of history. Of course, there's a crisis in the Tory party, but the crisis is in our democratic system itself. We're we're discovering actually it's not a democratic system. It's a sort of rotation of elites with a very limited exercise of influence by the electorate themselves. And where you can have a, a government elected, first of all, with a huge majority, but not necess- that doesn't necessarily reflect the number of votes that people have cast in the di- for the different parties. And then you have a system where, apart from an a unfair voting system, then you do, then move to the selection of a prime minister without any votes whatsoever by the general public, by the electorate. That can't be right. So the system, I think the system itself is beginning to implode and increasingly now is coming under question. So people are effectively disenfranchised. That's what you're saying, isn't it? 
Well, if the electorate don't get the opportunity to choose, well, two prime ministers, of course there's no well, there's no system of enfranchisement. It's it's stepping back centuries. It's almost like having a ruling elite determining who the monarch is. It's just it's exposed the system for the complete lack of democracy that there is within our system itself, and it has to be challenged. Right. So we're going back to before. Before the first reform act to the rotten boroughs, that's it's the, it's the sort of thing that actually mobilised the Chartists in their demands for extending the, the vote, but extending the, the franchise. Here we are, where the whole of the electorate on the choice of two prime ministers has been completely disenfranchised. This is bad as that. So you think we should have a general election, but what happens if the new prime minister, the new Tory prime minister, says no? What can people do about that? First of all, we do need a general election. It's, I think that's blindingly obvious. My worry about having a general election on the current system um, is that you're in danger of, of people's votes not having uh, to be properly valued and, and weight, weighted in a way which a majority of the votes will determine the next government under the first-past-the-post system. That certainly isn't the case. That's my worry about that. But nevertheless, we need a general election no, no matter no matter what. Um, at the moment in Parliament, the Conservatives, although in this recent period um, have been fighting amongst themselves, and that isn't just politically fighting amongst themselves, they've been physically fighting amongst themselves. Nevertheless, they still have an 80-seat majority. And therefore, to, deter, to call a general election, it requires a majority in, in Parliament. There's no way, as far as I can see, that the Conservative MPs are, are going to vote for a general election. They're so far behind in the polls, they recognise that they actually could, they could be massacred politically and have a large, lose a large number of their seats and allow a Labour government in. So I can't see them voting for it. So therefore, the only recourse that we've got is to mobilise a campaign of, on a mass scale. And... Parliament is influenced. Governments are influenced by mass mobilisations. So at the moment, my view is all those who feel this is, uh, we cannot continue on the existing system. It's so undemocratic. We should be out there in the streets, in the every op- taking every opportunity we can to demand a general election. We've got to hold this government to account. And the only way we can hold this government to account if we have an election, and I think the only way we can have an election is through mass mobilisation. In that way, even those Tory MPs who are resisting at the moment will recognise actually the the full weight of public opinion and the demand for some restoration of at least some form of democracy in this country. So people are having to mobilise to, to actually exercise, to get the right to exercise their democratic choice. That is well, an amazing situation, really, isn't it? Well, it is 19th century, isn't it? It's what the Chartists had to do. The Chartists had to get out there in their millions, mobilising right the way across the country, demonstrations, mass petitioning, and eventually they did win. They did secure a democratic advance. It might not have been everything we want that we, we needed at the time, but it was a democratic advance and it was able to be built upon. What we've got to do now is relay the foundations of democracy in this country. One way of doing that is if Parliament's not listening as a result of the Tory majority that there is, is mass mobilisation again. And as we've demonstrated throughout our history, that's been the resort of working people for 
every generation when we've wanted when we've wanted democratic reform in most instances we've not been able to rely upon parliament to deliver that it's been delivered by mass pressure of the people i actually think now it's 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 increasingly the focal point of resistance because out there is large numbers of people who are taking industrial action to try and secure a decent wage level there's other people campaigning for renters against eviction there's other people campaigning for um, people with disabilities to ensure that their benefits are not cut whole range of these individual civil society organizations campaigning out there alongside the trade unions but at the end of the day all those campaigns will be looking to government to ensure that actually we, there's a governmental response to a lot of these issues as well the, we can't get a governmental response unless we've got some form of democratic accountability and therefore i think all of this feeds into first of all forcing a general election then discussing how did we get in this mess and how do we reform the system so we we never get into this chaotic scenes that we've seen in parliament recently and this succession of one prime minister after another without any democratic mandate okay thanks for that now as shadow chancellor as you were shadow chancellor you must have been following the way the markets reacted to trust and kwateng's uh you know debacle really isn't there something here about the power of the markets over governments that we should be concerned about and how how do you think we could address that for example if a labor government came to power with a radical program uh how could they withstand similar kind of pressures from financial markets what do you think we need to change here in this relationship between politics and economics there's two <clears throat> there's two approaches to all of this um there's the first is to recognize that we operate in a in a global capitalist system where the markets will have will be able to take measures to demonstrate their opposition or resistance to democratic wishes of a particular government that's the first thing so you have to recognize that and to a certain extent you have to play the game so in other words when i was shadow chancellor i was asked the question time and time again if we're elected with our radical program will there be a run on the pound and i said well i didn't think so but i want the markets to know that if there is we'll prepare for it and so i went around the city of london meeting with asset managers investors banks you name them pension funds basically saying here's our program you might not like quite a bit of it but it's going to happen anyway so get used to it and the, largely the response i got was well they'll price that in they'll price it in and just as we're preparing for a labor government's response to the markets they would prepare their response to the markets to a labor government and interestingly enough the, the response i got was also as long as what you're doing is predictable we can live with it that's the first thing so that's one approach but also the second approach as well is well they might be able to live with it but occasionally they might want to try and oppose a particular aspect of our program well then i'm afraid you have to front them down you have to front them down and it's interesting that um draghi you know at the central bank european central bank actually did say to the markets we well, can throw what you want but we're going to stand firm on these the way the policy that direction they're going in you can you can in that way you can in that way see through any threat from the market system itself but there's a third issue which i think is more important 
which is we should as, have as our political program the reform of the global institutions that we currently have at the moment. And I just give a couple of examples, really. When the, when the banking crash happened in 2007, 2008, what then happened is Gordon Brown uh, brought together uh, global initiatives, if you like, to try and stabilize the financial system. It wasn't what I wanted in terms of uh, the mechanisms that he used, but at least there was a global response of, of some sort. Um, what we haven't got at the moment is any real discussion about how we would have a progressive global response to the market's activities. And that means now I think we should be stimulating the debate about those global institutions, the role of the IMF, the role of the World Bank. And I'll give you one small example after the banking crash. A whole range of protections were introduced to try and stabilize the financial system in a whole range of different sectors. I thought the protections were too weak, but at least there was something there. One of them was around food speculation. So they introduced they introduced regulations which actually prevented the holding of large stock holdings in food by any individual institution to try and prevent and stabilize food prices and to try and prevent the sort of super speculation that was going on in some economic sectors with some commodities. The Tories are just removing those protections. And what we've got at the moment on massively increasing food prices, we're told this is as a result of the Ukraine war. Actually, it's not a, a problem of supply. It's actually a problem of speculation, because what's happened is in the light of the Ukraine war, in speculators in move billions of pounds into food commodity speculation, because that's where they can make their profit. And having a completely deregulated marketplace enables them to do that. So I just give that as one example where, as socialists, what we should be doing is obviously looking at how we manage our own economy. But we should also now be coming up with our proposals about how we manage the global economy and how do we reform the international institutions that we've got. The IMF and, and the, the, the World Bank have been notorious in the way that they've undermined economies across the world, working with speculators, of it, essentially, to force through, particularly in the global south, privatization, cutbacks, the removal of protections and also attacks on trade union rights and other human rights. So what we've got to do is open up that debate so we can establish global institutions that actually start controlling the markets and, if necessary, confronting them on a global basis. And I think there's real potential for securing a whole alliances to, on that sort of agenda, particularly with those countries that are now in that progressive control in Latin America and elsewhere, but also in the global south, where we have a large number of company, countries now who are saying we're not going to be able to survive with the climate emergency at the moment unless there is this reform of the global institutions that enable us, for example, to fund the mitigation and protection measures that we need. So this whole debate now has moved on from democracy in our own country, the issue of how the markets, how we relate to the markets into a much more significant global debate and long term debate that we have to have. And there's a, a lot of people working on this at the moment, but there's a sort of a rapidity that we need about our thinking on this and the formation of those alliances that, that we need, because with the climate emergency that we face now, the market chaos from that could be detrimental to us all. Well, stormy times ahead then, John. 
Yeah, stormy times, challenging times, but actually what's interesting, the potential for a mobilisation both in this country and elsewhere on quite a significant scale that can bring us forward with quite a progressive, um, transformative agenda. Very good. Thanks very much for talking to us, John. Thanks for listening. To subscribe to the podcast, have your say in our community forum and try out our free political education course, go to realdemocracymovement.org.